0: And so there's a reframing that needs to happen in the relationship between utilities and communities that I think, you know, has caused some less collaboration in the past. You know, until we have those hard conversations, you can get excuses for why it's hard to do it. But I think those are the opportunities for utilities to really be this public partner, to really not be in adversarial situations with communities, but really have honest conversations about energy affordability, why energy costs so much, what it takes to create a clean energy future. And so I just wanted to be you know, really honest about that. I mean, it is hard, but again, we're talking about transformation, right? We're, this is our opportunity to actually have an energy system that looks totally different than it has in the past.
1: That was Dr. Tony Reams, Senior Advisor on Energy Justice at the U.S. Department of Energy. I got the chance to sit down and talk with Tony and Ben Nathan, Lead Analyst on the Research and Advisory Team at eSource about energy equity and justice had a great conversation. Take a listen. To get started, I'd like to just know a bit more about you guys and how you got into this space of energy equity. So can you tell me how you got started working in this area? What was the impetus? Where did your research begin? And maybe Tony, you can you can kick kick it off. Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. Um, You know, I like to to describe myself
0: as uh, kind of being born in a quintessential environmental justice community, Uh, grew up in rural South Carolina, Um, you know, majority African-American, majority low income community that had the state's largest landfill and the state's largest maximum security prison. Um, and these are two things that came to the county after the loss of major textile industries. Um, and so trying to replace the tax base, um, local leaders you know, kind of accepted things that other communities wouldn't accept to try to provide jobs um, you know, for the citizens. Um, but that kind of understanding of environmental justice kind of you know, tracked me throughout both in a professional and my educational career. Um, I worked for the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control doing underground storage tank cleanup. Um, And most of those cleanups were in low income, you know, African American communities. Um, And then I I had an interest in, you know, kind of understanding the energy justice aspect um, of kind of the environmental justice movement. Um, And that started during the last recession. Uh, because so much money from the federal government was going to energy efficiency and clean energy. Um, And I started studying a project in Kansas City that really looked at how can you deploy those funds to uh, kind of underinvested urban communities um, through a project called the Green Impact Zone. And so that's kind of where my whole um, understanding of energy and justice and energy equity came from, speaking to residents who had massive um, energy bills, had, you know, highly inefficient housing because they couldn't participate in existing programs or afford to do upgrades. And so I've kind of carried that understanding from where I grew up versus uh, what I learned during my PhD um, into the work I do now.
1: Yeah, it's great. I have kind of a similar experience growing up in a rural, low-income community uh, impacted by mining and uh, water quality issues, and didn't know what environmental justice was till I got to college, and then realized it was a huge problem that was mostly unaddressed. So, um, Ben, what's your what's your uh, origin story on this?
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, my experience is is probably a lot more recent than than either uh, your Brian's or, or Tony's. Um, I got into the energy space initially because of a real environmental issue, uh, interest um, and, and also my, my fascination with with critical infrastructure systems that really touch everyone's lives. Um, and but but I really think this these interests merged with social justice issues, um, as I'm sure it did for a lot of people during uh, the protests of the summer of 2020 and a lot of other national episodes that have really illuminated um, racial and, and social disparities in this country and around the world. Um, so I, I've seen my, my interest in environmental justice and energy equity as really uh, the, the marriage or, or the nexus of these different movements um, of these environmental and social issues. Um, and and I, I now see this as a really exciting opportunity to right some of the wrongs of the energy industry um, and, and also to be able to expand exciting new technologies uh, and job opportunities to, to different communities that have historically been underserved across the country. Um, and I, I imagine that this journey might resemble um, that of, of a lot of folks out there in the energy space um, and I hope it continues to. So that's kind of my background.
1: Yeah. thank you for sharing. So, uh, speaking of energy industry, we we work you know, Ben and I we work a lot with utilities day in and day out, and I mean utilities have had incentive programs for low to moderate income customers for many years, weatherization programs, but you know now there's this opportunity to really expand, evolve possibly enter into new areas in energy equity, energy justice space that they have not entered into before. So what do you think are the real big opportunities for utilities um, to expand and improve upon um, those efforts, uh, those legacy efforts?
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point that, you know, we've been doing efficiency conservation programs, you know, the weatherization assistance program, which is a federally funded program, has been in existence since the 1970s, Right. Um, Since the oil crisis of the 70s, but still one in three households face some type of energy insecurity, either not being able to pay their bills, um, keeping their homes at unhealthy temperatures, either too hot or too cold, or that constant threat of a shutoff notice. Um, And so although we've had kind of this longstanding um, existence of programs, um, there are some fundamental issues that we're not addressing, right? Um, we're not addressing the cost of energy. Um, we're not reaching everybody who needs to be assisted by these programs. And so um, in my new role at DOE, you know, part of you know, what I've studied is kind of the, the um, inadequacy of programs, the inability of programs to reach what, you know, what we call hard to reach customers. Um, but now how do we begin to educate our utility partners, state and local government partners to kind of braid funding together to make programs more comprehensive, to uh, do some place-based targeting, Um, think about the cultural and, you know, ethnic issues and considerations that we need to make sure programs are marketed to the right populations. Um, And, you know, a huge increase in the weatherization assistance program through the infrastructure bill. Um, We're talking some, you know, two and a half billion dollars. Um, to really roll that program out in some innovative ways, working in concert with utilities and state and local governments to make that happen.
1: That's great. Ben, what are you seeing in in your day-to-day work with
2: utilities? Yeah, we've, we've been working with a lot of utilities across the country and especially watching what they're doing. Um, And I, I think it comes down to, A few things uh, initially that that utilities are are beginning to engage in um, for those who are just um, kind of starting to address uh, equity in their in their service territories. Um, One is engaging local stakeholders um, in their communities, especially community based organizations. Um, These are critical partners for starting to talk about these issues for assessing um, the actual challenges um, the energy related challenges that people in their communities are facing and what kinds of solutions uh, utilities are actually empowered to help them um, to, to help them overcome those challenges that they identify um, that that ongoing exercise um, is is hopefully feeding into what we view and what we're seeing as the first, um, major element of, of really administering an effective equity energy equity-focused program, which is defining specifically what energy equity means to utilities in their service territories based on the unique characteristics of the people that they're serving. Um, and I think utilities are doing this in many different ways. They have many different Customers um, who are facing different energy-related challenges, but I think that that stakeholder engagement and that unique um, utility-specific definition of equity uh, seems to be a connecting thread through, through uh, utilities that are actively engaging um, in energy equity.
1: That's great. And Tony, can you tell us more about the DOE's specific perspective on energy equity and energy justice? And you know, you're doing some great work there now. I'm very happy to hear that you're trying to tackle some of these issues, but you know, how do you all see it? And then also, how do you see utilities being able to collaborate with federal, state, local governments on, on energy equity issues and initiatives? Yeah, so I think, you know,
0: none of us are surprised, right? We're in this moment of an energy transition. Um, You know, some people say it's an opportunity for an energy transformation, right, to totally transform the energy system. Um, And that may mean utilities look different than they do now. Um, You know, the president um, signed Executive Order 14008 back in January, shortly after taking office. Um, on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. Um, and part of that executive order includes what's known as the Justice 40 Initiative. Um, uh, the president ran on that during his campaign. You know, it was called Environmental Justice 40 um, back then, or EJ40. But it was this idea that we know communities have been um, underinvested and disadvantaged. And a lot of that is due to um, overburden through the energy system, right? Hosting power plants or uh, having lower quality grid infrastructure, or again, this idea of energy and security and unaffordability. Um, And so the Justice40 initiative says that at least 40% of the benefits of federal investments must go to disadvantaged communities. Um, Right now that's being defined as like census tracts. And I think that's an opportunity for utilities to take their utility territory Um, and think about things like outages, arrearages, shutoffs, and really create plans to, you know, if they participate in some of the infrastructure funding or view their own kind of efficiency and clean energy plans um, to really determine, you know, where are the communities being, um, you know, underserved and uh, disadvantaged by just the way programs have been rolled out. Um, And so we really look at energy equity as an opportunity for um, distributional justice. So equitably distributing investments, resources, procedural justice. Um, how are communities that don't often participate in decision making at the table now? And so Ben brought up stakeholder engagement. And so it's not just having a community meeting, but it's actually you know continuing to engage with citizens that are, you know, rate payers in a utilities territory. Um, And then corrective justice. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta make up for the wrongs of the energy system of the
1: past. Yeah. Great points. And I've been working in electric vehicle space for a long time. And I know on the transportation side, huge environmental justice issues. We've got a lot of opportunity to try to start to fix some of that. But it's not going to be easy. It's not simply going to just be putting a bunch of EV chargers in low-income communities and hope that someday they get used. I mean, it's a lot to it, right? So, Ben, do you, you have any comments you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, I, I, I'd i be curious to hear more about um, about federal funding opportunities. Um, how you know, it's it's a daunting and an exciting amount of, of funding that we're hearing about, um, especially that which which is going to have to be applied with an energy justice or, or equity lens. Um, how can how can utilities follow that and, and take advantage um, and leverage some of that 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 big federal pot of, of money that's coming down?
0: Yeah, um, you know, so. So one, one um, funding source I'll, I'll discuss is uh, the grid resilience funding. So there's about $11 billion um, in the infrastructure bill for grid resilience and upgrades. Um, and so, you know, part of our discussion about how do you deploy that in an equitable manner is thinking about outages, right? Um, you know, where where are parts of a utility's territory that are underinvested? Um, how can they create plans to reinvest in those communities? Um, who have uh, a greater rate of outages and longer durations of restoration. Um, and that becomes more than just cutting trees, but actually, you know, upgrading the infrastructure in those areas. Now, of course, there's not enough money in the infrastructure bill to really, you know, do this. And so that's where states um, and utilities can, you know, amplify their other uh, kind of investment plans and really think about this more holistically than, you um, you know, just some of the kind of individual planning that happens. And so, uh, and procedural justice, again, comes into that, right? Like stakeholder engagement and um, bringing in community and unheard voices into the integrated resource plan um, process. And so, um, you know, that's the kind of you know, advice and technical assistance we hope to give to utilities and states um, working through some of the professional societies like NARUC and NASIO. Um, to really have those kind of deep conversations about energy equity. That's
1: great. And Tony, do you have any specific examples of projects or programs that you've worked with that you think you know, you like to share details about or you think are really exemplary or or things that you know excite you encourage you in this space? Yeah, so um you know a lot of my
0: uh, kind of experience has been in like I said Kansas City earlier and in the Detroit, uh, in Michigan, uh, more recently, um, some really great uh, energy efficiency efforts coming out of Michigan, uh, kind of in collaboration with communities, environmental groups, and the utilities, um, you know, like the negotiation process of, of rate cases and um, energy, what they call an energy waste reduction in Michigan, but energy efficiency planning, right? Mm. You know, no one got everything they wanted, but They are moving towards, um, you know, implementation that actually includes, you know, kind of community input and actually doing some place based targeting, which is I'm a big proponent of. You know, if we look at how housing has been developed over time, um, you know, you still got the kind of persistence of residential racial segregation. We have to be honest about that. Right. You know, most of our major metropolitan areas are highly segregated. Um, and the housing quality is poor in some communities than it is in others. Mm -hmm. Um, Building codes have changed over time. And so we know that there is this really tight connection between housing quality, housing age, energy efficiency, and consumption. And so why do we not plan our efficiency rollouts in that same way, right? Mm And so um, so both DTE Energy and consumers um, we'll be doing some pilots that you know actually go deeper in their data understanding of consumption, outages, arrearages, efficiency, um, to create um, kind of small-scale pilots to uh, kind of concentrate programs in certain communities. And I think that will be huge. The learning from that will allow us to you know kind of really even the weatherization program is first-come, 1st first serve. but if we can roll that out in a place-based approach and, you know, reduce our mobilization costs, uh, you know, treating housing as infrastructure, I always say that, like, we do that with roads and water pipes and, you know, storm pipes, like, why don't we do that with
1: housing? That's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, we've done a lot of great work at ESource with Consumers Energy over the years, and so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that they're, they're kind of leading on this. Um, and... It makes me wonder. So, you know, I've known about these issues for maybe twenty plus years since I, I got to college, and you know, you, maybe you've known about them even longer than that. I'm sure, but you know, it seems like there's just you no know, broad awareness, and and there's a lot of interest in in trying to make improvements, and there's more funding available, there's more programs. How do we maintain this momentum and make sure that we don't squander this opportunity? Uh, lose steam on this trend. What What do you guys think we can do to really keep this moving, growing, and improving, and, and doing better in all of these areas? Um,
2: you know, I, I I think with something so new and undefined, um, and and even controversial in in certain places, <laughs> um, everyone needs to keep learning about these issues. We're we're often asked for best practices. Um, and it it's hard to say who has a best practice. Um, I think a lot of programs need to be evaluated um, and a lot of utility attempts at uh, fostering and increasing energy equity. They, we need to continue collecting data um, around their program performance to see what's working and what's not working. So I think there's a big learning curve here. Um, but above all, I think like we're hopefully doing a little bit of today. I think we in in this industry really need to connect and collaborate and share. Um, I think the very definition of equity calls for being inclusive and and cooperative uh, with with our peers and obviously our stakeholders and and our customers and the people that we serve. Uh, and even our competition, um, we give a lot of airtime to organizations that we may that we may have at one point considered our competition in the utility space, um, because I think we need to move past the old ways of doing things that may have left out certain voices and communities um, to really move the needle and to really make a positive difference uh, in people's lives and become a more equitable energy system. So I think that collaboration uh, is key. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Ben is hitting on how we
0: actually make this transformation, right? It can't be siloed. It can't be done um, without, you know, kind of this layered approach where you have, you know, government, private sector, community, nonprofits, you know, all thinking about what the energy future looks like. Um, Data collection is huge. Uh, There's a really, on the academic side, there's a growing body of um, academic literature and research on energy justice that's really starting to think, you know, beyond identifying the disparities, but really looking at solutions um, to those disparities and, you know, know, hopefully getting to these best practices or, you know, um, kind of understanding how you change implementation based on the current characteristics of the place you're trying to implement it, but at least having some general frameworks for um, how to do energy justice, energy equity. Um, And I'll say I'm I'm excited because, you know, in meetings every day, you know, colleagues in a very technical department like DOE are talking about energy justice and energy equity, trying to think through, you know, how we do um, new technical assistance programs where we actually kind of facilitate government, utilities and community groups working together to create um, a clean energy future. Um, so uh, one one really exciting um, project that we um, will announce here soon is called the Communities LEAP, Communities Local Energy Action Program, um, which is a community-driven uh, approach to the clean energy future. But we require that applicants brought along a utility partner, a government partner, uh, because we want to see that type of collaboration and so um, you know, I think in the department, you know, we're thinking about how we highlight those type of opportunities, how we tell those stories, and so as Ben was saying, we can, you know, you know, let other utilities or communities that haven't thought about this, you know, see some examples of what's
1: possible. And we're talking about benchmarking and best practices, and you know, we need to get to the point where we can even say what best practices are. But even just in terms of performance metrics. You know, we work with utility programs for decades now, and, you know, we usually measure performance in terms of KWH, you know, kilowatt hours saved or kilowatt reduced or, you know, maybe dollars spent, number of customers served. How do we measure success in energy justice and energy equity? What does that look like? Well,
0: I guess the the, the fundamental understanding of equity, right, is that you have to compensate for the inequities. Um, And so... We have to recognize that, you know, kilowatt hours saved may not always be a measure of success, particularly in energy and secure households who are cutting back and not using enough energy to properly heat or cool their homes. You know, they're not using their stove. Um, and so we have even had this conversation on energy burdens. Um, although energy burdens are relatively high for low income households, it may not be as high as it would actually be if they were using you know, some, you know, measurable or meaningful amount of energy, right? Because we know people are curtailing. And so it's it's kind of, you know, starting from a level playing field to understand kind of the um, base level of services that we want people to be able to have access to, uh, which is hard, right? We don't know what that is. And so like the folks at Pecan Street down in Austin I'm um, doing some work with some co- former colleagues of mine at University of Michigan in Detroit to, you know, do some sub metering um, on households, uh, particularly low income households, because that's another uh, market segment that we have very little uh, data analysis on. And so, you know, are people, you know, using less energy to heat and cool in the summer and winter time uh, compared to, you know, different income households. And so that data collection. Will be key to help us with some some more equity based equity um, centered metrics.
2: Yeah to to build on to build on that data piece that Tony mentioned. Um, it's it's what we're seeing is it's really just so uh, place based so place specific for for different utilities across the country um, and and across Canada as well. Um, we're we're seeing utilities use uh, evaluation and reporting equity metrics um, like energy burden, of course, uh, but also uh, racial and ethnic metrics, um, looking at employment uh, in, in their service territories, at housing, quality and ownership, um, at, at transportation access, um, as well as, as we're seeing a lot of health pollution and climate impacts um, in, 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 and often overlaps of those, uh, like in environmental justice or disadvantaged communities that are defined in, in states like California and New York. So it really depends on the populations and the, and the unique characteristics, um, in a utility service territories. But throughout all of this, um, it's, it's clear that, uh, utilities need to leverage, um, community-based organization partnerships and a really, really strong data analysis to study and and really understand um, their populations and and what kind of challenges they're facing and and what they're empowered to to help them with.
0: I think that uh, that economic development component um, is really key, Ben, and I I think you know sometimes we lose sight of you know utilities are huge drivers of the economy in, in their states and local communities. And, you know, how are you diversifying, you know, not only your utility workforce, but kind of the whole supply chain or, um, you know, we've done some some work in the past with um, Ameren Illinois, you know, looking at their diverse supplier network and really thinking about what are the barriers to um, small and diverse businesses from participating in utility opportunities. And so, Um, I would encourage utilities to do that type of analysis. I know uh, Duke Energy also has their DICE program, Um, you know, so expanding those type of opportunities because they're huge drivers of economic um, opportunities in their communities.
1: Yeah, great point. And many of the utilities we work with are are very much focused on workforce development and bringing all of this into all of their workforce development initiatives and efforts and goals is it's a really big, big element of this. Um, so do you have any other thoughts on, you know, we've talked a lot about the need for stakeholder engagement and partnership coordination, collaboration. I think that's huge. I think sometimes utilities are a little challenged in the extent to which they can realistically do that just the bandwidth, resource, human resources, time, you know, how much can they really collaborate when they're really focused on a very localized problem, which is delivering safe and reliable power to customers in their service territory. Right. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that any utility can really be wholly, you know, incredibly successful in this area without having some level of partnership, but what are some like, some ways that they can do better at collaborating without it being a huge burden on them just in terms of their own operations? I think there are some built-in
0: mechanisms, right? And so, you know, we have things like, you know, the rate case um, process and integrated resource planning processes. And I think, you know, taking that seriously, you know, and it may require, you know, some human capital to actually do that. But but I think those are the opportunities for utilities to really be this public partner. Um, when we talk about public utilities, um, to really, you know, not be in adversarial situations with communities, but really have honest conversations about energy affordability, why energy costs so much, about what it takes to create a clean energy future, um, and so there's a reframing that needs to happen in the relationship between utilities and communities that I think, you know, has caused some less collaboration in the past. Um, and so I just wanted to be you know, really honest about that because, um, you know, until we have those hard conversations, um, you can get examples or excuses for why it's hard to do it. I mean, it is hard, uh, but again, we're talking about transformation, right? Where this, uh, this is our opportunity to actually have an energy system that looks totally different than it has in the past. Um, and if we don't do it differently, uh, communities uh, of color and places I grew up um, will continue to look outside their windows and see smokestacks. And I think um, the, 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 the stakes are too high to do it that way. And so, you know, if utilities need to hire community liaisons, then that needs to be part of their business model, right? Equity needs to be a part of the utility business model. Um, and and before and utilities say it, it can't be
1: or it's too hard um, it's not a good answer yeah I, I agree <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we can't do that
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah we, we we're, we're seeing utilities really have used the inside and the outside game. so mm-hmm. inside um, we hear a lot of utilities asking for best practices around organizational structures um, how utilities are, organizing internally to better serve low and moderate income customers or to advance their energy equity efforts. So it comes down to sharing, um, uh, you know, being willing to be open about your internal organization and share how your uh, demand side management program administrators are working with your billing and payment staff, um, how they're all integrating with marketing and communications, um, community engagement teams, uh, and and especially your evaluation, measurement, and verification teams. So how are you evaluating your programs more effectively? And that's inside. Uh, working with outside players, I think there's some great built-in resources that are present in a lot of communities that utilities can can leverage to better uh, engage with, with local communities um, and to better spread awareness and messaging around what they're doing. Um, Trade allies are a huge resource um, for utilities to have um, some really improved one-on-one connection with customers, uh, customer advisory panels, chambers of commerce for reaching small and medium-sized businesses. Um, as well as there's some effective statewide uh Organizations in a number of different states that are advocating for and coordinating different communities around low and moderate income issues. Um, so those are great uh, resources for utilities to partner with. So there's a ton out there um, that that really needs to be better coordinated. I think to make some real uh, to make some real impacts in underserved communities. That's great. Thank you both so much. This has been a wonderful conversation.
1: Anything else you would like to add uh, or, or share with our listeners? I think this is an opportunity for utilities to shine, right? Um, you know,
0: I want to, you know, encourage utilities to really think about, you know, as their business models are changing during this transition, you know, how how do they provide, you know, the safe and reliable energy sources to their communities in an affordable way, in an equitable way, um, and partner. I think, you know, I think the, a, a key coming out of, theme coming out of our conversation is this opportunity for partnership and collaboration that, um, you know, there's a business case for that, right? And so thinking through that, um, you know, I, I just see so much opportunity in this moment and, yeah. um, I just, you know, don't want us to squander it, um,
2: Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think uh, I'm, I think the business case is huge. I see this as such a win-win. This can really drive new savings opportunities um, by expanding the customer base um, for different utility programs. Uh, This can really improve utility reputation by better building trust with customers. Um, This can obviously meet uh, incoming state and local mandates around energy equity and, and environmental justice issues. Uh, and then, of course, there's the huge bonus to uh, the people that utilities serve uh, with reduced arrears um, and late fees and disconnections, which which no one wants. So I think driving the business case for this is going to be a huge priority um, for, for people in the industry who care about this. Um, and I think uh, it's just a huge win-win that that we need to keep pushing on. And as Tony said, you know, not squandering this opportunity. All right. Well, let's keep moving forward. We're not going to squander it. Thank you both so
1: much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us on Power Talking, the official podcast of Esource please, if you're interested in this topic, go check out our brand new white paper on the energy equity framework that we're developing with our utility members. It's free, it's available, it's on our website at esource.com. Thanks again for joining us.